You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. My name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here. We're going to be in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 today. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and open up. But man, oh man, I struggle with this one. Uh, if any of you watch the little uh, YouTube, my brother and I do, th- this is a complicated part of the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, it's like the more I know what I don't know. I, th- I think we can tend to come to the Bible full of arrogance and feel like, oh, we've heard this before, we know all this. But the more I read and study, the more I know there is still great mystery in this book. That God has revealed certain things, but not everything is 100% clear. And I think if, if, if you're one of those people who come to the Bible with this arrogance that you understand every single thing, um, it seems like the, the people, and this is not a knock on anybody, the people who think they've got every single thing figured out about the Bible are not always the most fun people to hang out with. Um, sometimes uh, that sort of spills over into arrogance and, and just annoyance and, um, you know, downright meanness. And so uh, th- there are some things that are difficult in Scripture. Now, there's some things that I think are super clear, and, and like they're agreed upon across all theological, like denominational background. And this room is made up of probably 75 different denominations, which means each one of you comes from a different denomination today. But I mean, there's all sorts of different denominations in this room, but there are things we all agree on. Like when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, that's pretty clear in Scripture, okay? That there's not a lot of like gray area. We all pretty much agree on that. There are other things that are far more challenging. Um, there are other things that occasionally we should stop and go, okay. Uh, uh, and remember, there's things in the Bible where, and I use a lot of commentaries when I write sermons uh, because, I mean, I, there's a lot of people who've spent thousands and thousands of hours studying the Bible, and I should probably listen to them. And so on this chapter of the Bible, the commentaries all start with, I don't really know exactly what he's talking about. Which makes it a little challenging. Not only that, if you read the passages we're going to read today in different versions of the Bible, let's say you read it in the NIV. I, I use an NASB because it, it's, it's my favorite word-for-word interpretation. Uh, some of you are King James. But if you read this chapter in different interpretations, uh, it, it can be a little different. Now, that doesn't mean anyone's wrong. It doesn't mean anyone's doing something nefarious. It means there are God-loving people who are trying their hardest to figure something out, and we don't necessarily have all the keys to this part of the library. You with me? Some of these things are challenging. And what we're going to read today is a snippet of a follow-up from a conversation that Paul had with people over three weeks Over three weeks, Paul has had a conversation with a group of people. And what we're then going to read is a snippet follow-up text message. And from that, we're going to try to decipher what the conversation was about. But you can imagine the challenge in that, right? I mean, imagine I had had a conversation with you for three weeks. You and I had talked about something. And then later on, I sent you a text message summary of the conversation. And 2,800 years later, people tried to take that text message summary and build an entire theology around it. Wouldn't that be kind of challenging? I mean, I would text you last night and say, this is not fun. And people would have had to figure out what I was talking about. But any of you who watch TV, no. <laughs> All right. Golly, Moses, man. 
Um, so th- this is great. 2 Thessalonians 2.5. L- let, me, let me share. 2 Thessalonians 2.5. So Paul writes to these people and says, Do you not remember? He's writing to the Thessalonians. Do you not remember while I was still with you that I was telling you these things? And when we read this, you know what we should say? I, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. He's writing to people in the first thing. He said, don't you remember we talked about this? And you and I should automatically go, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the class that day. I missed it. And so we must approach Scripture with humility. And I want you guys to hear this. Paul isn't always the easiest person to understand. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, so it's okay if you're reading this. Like, if you read this, by the way, and I'm so thankful for those of you who are reading along with me and we're learning together. But if you read this, put down your Bible and went, I don't know. Welcome home. Because this is challenging. As a matter of fact, in, 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 I think it's 1 Peter. Peter, who knew Paul well, Peter says, sometimes Paul is hard to understand. Peter says that about Paul. Who knows what Mary was thinking? But that, that's, that's what Peter says about Paul, right? And so if Peter feels that way, it's probably okay for us to occasionally feel that way. And there's several reasons Paul is confusing. Number one is he knows the Old Testament. He, he's got the Old Testament memorized. And so Paul is constantly referencing the Old Testament to make a New Testament point. And if you don't have, how many of you, raise your hand if you have the Old Testament memorized. That's good. That's good. He's pulling from things we don't earn. And the other reason he's confusing is because he's, we're reading snippets of conversations that he had with other people that we weren't there for. And so as we go into this, be humble. Because, guys, there, there are people who are super dogmatic about the stuff I'm going to talk about today. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But we're going to approach this passage with humility, okay, with, with our heart and our mind open. So let's jump in. 2 Thessalonians 2.1, it says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Okay, guys, so let me tell you what's going on. This part we can kind of understand. There are people in Thessalonica who are freaked out because they think the day of the Lord has already happened. Okay, so remember, for, for Hebrews, they've been talking about the day of the Lord since Malachi. Like this, they've been talking about this for a hot minute. And a lot of these people are Hebrews in this church. And so some of them are like, oh my gosh, we missed it. We missed the day of the Lord. Like what happened? And so they are freaked out about this. And so Paul writes to them and says, hey, calm down. You had missed it. But you're focused but you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong thing here. My brother Jeff, when, when I first, and it was like, this is the most grinding on my nerves saying in the world. But my brother Jeff, when I used to get really excited about something, he would often say to me, methinks your passion is misplaced, little brother. <laughs> you, I hated that. I was like, yeah, your passion is misplaced. But it drove me nuts. But what Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica is, Methinks your passion is misplaced. Like they are so fixated on the end that they can't focus on the moment that they're in. 
And, and, and maybe you all know this. Sometimes when people become overly, fi overly fixated on all the details of the return of Christ, like I'm talking about it's all they talk about, it's all they think about, they've got all the answers. Uh, when people become overly fixated on the return of Christ, sometimes they get a little weird. You with me? And if you don't think that's weird, you're the one. <laughs> right? And I'm not, we, we should be aware and we should be looking forward to the return of Christ. But we do it with faith, hope, and love, right? We don't do it with fear and all this weirdness and like walking around saying, that's a sign, that's a sign, you're a sign, you're a, you're a mark, you're a blah, blah, blah. That's when we've just lost our minds a little bit. And so Paul is telling his people, hey, listen, I need you to calm down just a little bit because you're getting focused on the wrong thing. And now Paul is about to go into an explanation of that. And this next part just, uh, if you got your Bible, I really, I want you to open it up. Maybe you can get a cell phone or whatever, open it up, because you should read this along with me. And if you understand this completely, then to God be the glory. All right, verse 3. He says, no one is to deceive you in any way, for it, I'm thinking that's the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Don't you remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? No. And you know what restrains him now, and you know what restrains him now, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is removed. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. You, are you with me? Is everybody with me? Are we all together right now on this? That's a lot of stuff going on, okay? And what's funny is if, in Greek, oftentimes Paul doesn't even put a period in. It's, one, it's like reading some of the text messages from y'all. There's not, there's not even, it's just one long thing, and then i got to figure out what it is, right? He doesn't even put a period in some of these things. So it's just like Paul just goes, here you go. And people today will read this, and they will get dogmatic about something and take a side. And I think Paul would go, hold on, you weren't even there. Like, you, you ever told a story and someone acts like they were there, and you know they weren't there? Does that ever happen to you? Like, oh, I remember that. You can't remember that. I was there. You weren't. And so I, I, there's so much in this. And so, again, I just, the thing I keep coming back to is humility when we approach this book. Humility. Now, there are some things I think we can glean from. I like that word because I think it makes me sound smart. Glean. I think there's some things we can glean from this. And so here, here's a few of the things I think we can know. Number one is Paul does not believe the day of the Lord has happened yet. And so I think if you're sitting in this room and you're wondering, did you miss it? I think Paul would say, no, the day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. 
And so I think that's one thing. And, the, and there's another thing is I think that in the end times, uh, before, and by the way, I think we are in the end times. I think we've been in the end times since Christ rose from the grave. So I think we're in the end times. But, but it, there's going to be a season where lawlessness happens, where people rebel against God's word. I think before Christ comes again, there will be a, a season of great immorality. And so some of you might think, man, we're in that. Do y'all know what Rome looked like at this time? Rome was just as crazy as America is today. And so again, maybe we're in that, but I think that's been going on for a long time. But before Christ comes again, there will be a season of great rebellion. Number three, I think Paul is saying there's some great evil, some spirit, some person, some thing that's being restrained somehow until these last days. And there will be a spirit of, of evil or, again, a person. There will be some man of lawlessness, which is something. But those of us who have the truth in us will be aware that that is not of God, okay? Last thing I think we can know is this. Many people in the closing times will worship a God that is not the one true God. That in the final days, people will stop worshiping God and start worshiping gods they create. And, and again, I, I think... We've seen that. And I think that Paul is saying for those of us who know, who have the truth in us, for those of us who have the spirit, we know what the real problem is. The real problem in this world is not them. The real problem in this world is not the people from another country. The real problem in this world is not something happening in a border or something happening. The real problem in this world is sin. And for those of us who have spirit eyes, we see that our battles are not flesh and blood. Our battles are not other people. Our battles are not people who don't believe. Or they, our battles are against sin. And I think Paul is saying if you have spiritual eyes, use them. See that the real enemy is not that person. The real enemy is sin. And we must believe that there is a force at work against the kingdom of God. We must believe that there are things going on that go beyond our understanding. Y'all ever seen The Devil's Advocate? Anybody ever seen that movie? I, the, don't go see it because it's foul, but like, there's a line in it that says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Amen. I mean, I believe that. I believe that so much. One of the failures of the American church is ignoring that there is a great evil. And so we must be aware of that. And I think that's what Paul is, is calling us to. Guys, but that's a, that's a sandbox, okay? That's a big sandbox, Inside of that sandbox, there's a lot of room for debate and wiggle. But again, I wasn't there on the day when the teacher taught that class. Neither were you. So there are times when we should be careful with how we approach the gospel. And I think this is one of those times. All right, but there are some things we can take. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes... His seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. What Paul, th th what Paul is saying right here is, be careful what becomes the God of your life. Be careful, and I think this is a super practical point for us today. Be careful what becomes the God of your life. Y'all know how many times I've seen Christians turn on each other because we exalted something else as God above our, our real God? 
We, we, we started worshiping at the God of freedom or, or the God of uh, self-preservation or the God of tolerance or the God of this political party or the God of that political party. And when we do those things, when we elevate some agenda above the one true God, we devour each other. And so you want to make sure that, that on that day you're bound to the one true God? Bind yourself to the one true God today. Identify what the idols are in your life and crush them. What have you exalted above God? There's a way to figure this out, too. Several ways to figure it out. You can look at your bank account. You can look at your daily planner. And you will figure out what is exalting itself above the name of God in your life. Matter of fact, you can probably look at your cell phone history. There are ways to figure this out. What is exalting itself above God in your life? And Paul would say, be careful. There's another thing that I think is gorgeous. That, that I just want to say, It's verse 8. It says, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate. Read, read this. Whom the Lord will eliminate with what? The breath of his mouth. I don't know why that just hit me this week. The lawlessness, whatever evil, whatever this lawless, whatever this thing is, God will eliminate him. And how will God eliminate him? With the breath of his mouth. It's the word of God. It's the word of God written on our heart. I mean, so there's people, again, who dwell on these end times, and so they're like storing up water and ammunition and all these sorts of things. And those things um, may not be what we really need in the last days. What we need in the last days, more so than, you know, uh, military supplies and ammunition, may be the Word of God written across our hearts. And so I think maybe if we would spend more time dwelling on the Word of God and learning the Word of God, we would begin to identify what is of God and what is not of God. And so as we prepare for days of, of difficulty, as we prepare for days when things may get dangerous, the best way we can prepare is by studying the Word of God. Are you ever convicted about how little time we spend in the Word of God? Y'all remember, I think, we were, I think Danny and I talked about this the other day. In the Old Testament, there's a story where Moses goes up on the mountain, right? And he gets the word of God and brings it down to the people. Too many of us are settling for Moses when we have access to the word of God. You don't have to just wait for the person. You have access every day to the spirit of the living God. Open it. Be present in it. Let the truth be written across your heart. So that you can know what is of God and what is not. Bathe in the word of God. Verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God. Oh, this is so good too. We should always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters. Beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith and truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, this is so important. Verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by letter or by word of mouth. Just leave that one up there. I'm not going any further than that. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught, whether by letter or by word of mouth. What he is saying is stand firm firm and hold on to the apostolic or passed down by the apostles stand firm hold on to the truth hold on to the truth and i love the idea of stand firm because that that implies something is coming against you pushing it doesn't it 
When I think of stand firm, you know, I think of those reporters from, from whatever, you know, I was going to say CNN, but I lost half of you. The reporters from Fox. <laughs> the reporters, and you know, when they're in a storm, and it's a tornado, and it's blowing, and they're standing like this. That's what I think of when I think of stand firm. Stand firm means hold your ground. Hold to the truth. Because there's going to be a storm that comes against you. Because some of the truth in here, guess what? I don't like it. And when I read truth, I don't like it. You know what I have to do? I have to stand firm. And when the world is telling me, did God really say that? I have to stand firm. And then we want to deconstruct, right? We want to deconstruct our beliefs. That, that's popular to do. And what we want to is deconstruct the truth and reconstruct something that feels good to me. When you have that urge, stand firm. God's plan is not that you would feel good. God's plan is your sanctification. It's holiness. And so we must hold true to the word even when we don't like it. We stand firm. Because there are so many voices that want to tell us that's not really what God meant. That can't be. Because God wouldn't. Because God can't. That's not love. That's too loving. Whatever. There's so many voices. Stand firm. I, 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 all I can hold is the truth. I don't always understand it. I don't always like it. It doesn't always match with what I want to do. But it's all I have. And so I stand firm. And as I examine my beliefs, I examine them not against the words of this world, but against the truth of the kingdom. And I stand firm. Have y'all ever read something in the Bible that tried to blow you over? <laughs> kind of knocked you down a little bit? Or you read something and then, and then like you read something you didn't like and then oddly enough a few days later you heard a pastor or some voice who affirmed exactly what you didn't like about that part of the Bible? Stand firm. I, I, what I want to end with today is this. There are a lot of voices out there in the world, Okay. A lot of voices that want, to, that want to tell you what's true and what's not true. A lot, of, a lot of breezes that are blowing. And so I want to give you guys a few things that I would look for. as I Because I know I'm not dumb enough to think I'm the only pastor you're listening to. I know you're on you know, the Facebook and the YouTube and all these different podcasts. So I'm just going to give you a few things that I would think about as I'm seeking truth. Because I believe there's certain, I think this would be on the screen. So you're welcome to grab your phone out and take a picture. As a matter of fact, I would encourage it. Because I think we need this. I think this is important, but here, I think I've got five of these. Here are five things that I would look at when listening. Let me say this. Here are five things I would consider when giving someone access to my heart, okay? Here's the first one. The person speaking believes that they are the solo holder of truth. When you're listening to a pastor or a person and they say, listen, I have all the truth and everything else everyone else has said is wrong, I have some, you know, groundbreaking that no one else in the church, if you hear someone who believes they're the solo holder of truth, I would turn that down. I'd be careful about that. No humility in biblical understanding is a sign you should go the other direction. Number two, they teach things that directly contradict the New Testament. That's right. You may just have to hit it a couple times. Number two is this, they teach things that directly contradict the New Testament. So if they are teaching you something and saying this is not a sin, 
But the entire thread of the New Testament says is it is a sin. You should disregard the teaching of that person. You're on dangerous grounds. If someone is affirming something or telling you something and saying this is not a sin, the, the Bible got it wrong, guys, listen, listen, be careful with that, okay? Be very careful with those teachings. Third one. The third one is this. By the way, I abbreve these because I think abbreve is cool. Lots of details. If they have every detail about the end of the world and how America is central in that story, I would crank them down. I'm, if, if they have every, and if they know the day or the time, run. Like run the other direction. But if they have like an exorbitant amount of details and 99% of their, of their preaching is on the end of the world and how America is, and, and if we elect this president, they will save the soul. If that's what you're hearing from your pastor, find a different one. That's scary stuff. And number four, what the Bible had meant was, right, right, when they use scripture to excuse sin in our lives, I know it said that. That's, the, that's what the snake did in the garden. That's what the snake did in the garden. What God had meant was, what the Bible had meant was, and the last one is this, it's all good. If they, if they teach that all roads lead to Rome, run, guys, run, 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 run. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Uh, a name by any other name does not smell as sweet in this particular situation. If, if you are listening to someone who is teaching that there is some universal truth that runs through all things or that, or that any name you call, then run from that teaching. That is false teaching. And we must learn to identify these things. And the way we learn to identify them is by spending time in the Word. And do not get your scripture from Facebook. Stop doing that. Memes are not the same thing as the Bible. Run. Run. And so my prayer for us this week is that we would begin to identify truth. That we would hold our hands open to what we don't know. But that we would hold fast to the traditions that are clear. And that as the winds blow in the world, we would stand firm. If not us, who? Guys, I encourage you this week, pick this thing back up. You've got one. We've all got one. I've got some dust on. We've all got one. Pick this thing up and spend some time in it. This is the word of God. And you have direct access to it. Spend time in it. Bathe in it. Enjoy it. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.